Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from the elections office, it's Romeo Mora. Romeo, how are the polls looking? Good. That's all I can say. I don't want to speak on any official things because as you learn on the West Wing, speaking on things that you shouldn't speak on can get you in trouble. Absolutely. with Congress. This is very true. Romeo, speaking of the West Wing, that is the show we are covering today. The West Wing is an American political drama television series created by Aaron Sorkin that aired from September 1999 to May 2006. The West Wing follows the trials and triumphs of Democratic President Josiah, also known as Jed Bartlett, and his senior staff. This television series would offer a somewhat accurate glimpse into the inner workings of the White House from policy meetings and the daily press briefings to campaigning that often mirror its real-world counterparts. So for today's episode, it's just you and me, Romeo. Romeo, you're the one who decided that you wanted to do the West Wing for this new season. So why is it that you wanted to do the West Wing for the start of season two? Because we figured that we'd be coming back right around the inauguration. It just seems appropriate for us to discuss a transition from one prince to the other. And coincidentally, the series finale also dealt with the installation of a new president. And not only that, because of what we've been experiencing over the last few years with the presidency being so polarizing, people have been either going back to rewatch The West Wing or starting to watch it for the first time. So there has been this uptick in popularity with the series. Also keep in fact that not only it gained popularity during this current administration, it actually sort of helped, I guess, liberals during the Bush era because President Bartlett was president during both terms of George W. Bush's terms in office. It sort of became popular, I guess, in a lot of liberal coastal towns because the way you look at how Bush got into office, Bartlett's kind of like the substitute. If we couldn't have the president that we wanted because Gore did win the popular vote, we could at least have a fictional president that sort of encapsulates the values of all the people that voted for Gore. And I think that was another added appeal along with the writing. You can't go wrong with the writing. Let's jump right in. What inspired you to start watching the show? I actually started I want to say around season four, season, hold on, I think it might be even season six. So you were really late to the game here, considering that those are the post-Sorkin seasons. Yeah, which is kind of shameful, because when the show came on, I was in high school. Then we had 9-11 during season three, so I wasn't into politics. I think it was during those later years when Obama came around, they mirrored the debates with the show, and there was a lot of intersection. Arnie Vinick is John McCain. And Matt Santos clearly was President Barack Obama. And I think a lot of people my age gravitated to those parallels, especially after eight years of George W. Bush. So something obviously hooked you about those yeah. those later seasons, because, yeah, after the Sorkin years, it is yeah. known that the series is not as well renowned as during those first four seasons. It is also worth noting that all seven seasons have been nominated for Best Drama at huh. the Emmys. So it's not like it's just this ginormous drop off. It's just a noticeable change but from it, what made it great in the beginning. So what was it about that season six that made you say, wow, this is you, really good. I want to start from 
the beginning? I think it was the parallels because this was my first drama because I've always been a science and superhero fiction type of watcher. This is the one time where I can actually see them talking about policy and making it sort of easier to digest. Granted, it, it is watered down in the post working years. But I think because it was campaign focused, that made it interesting for me at the time. But I think it was seeing Jed Bartlett. Damn, that man just pulls your attention. For me as a at the time as a young adult, I'm not saying young anymore, my first real consciousness of presidents was the sex scandal with Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, who could not put two sentences together, bless his heart. Now, then you had Jed Bartlett, who was this orator that just speaks eloquently. Let's be honest, he inspires, which I wouldn't come to find another leader that inspires until Barack Obama. So for me, like it's Martin Sheen's portrayal. And of course, Allison Janney is CJ Craig. I think she's everyone's spirit animal, often overlooked who works really hard, but eventually gets one of the most powerful positions in all of Washington, D.C. Yeah, for me, it was character driven. And of course, being able to sort of see how they were able to play with real life in a fictional way and make me feel good about politics. So did you finish the series before starting from the beginning or were you doing both? Okay, so you finished season seven, the series is over and then you said, okay, now it's time to start. Because it ended in 2006 and we didn't have Netflix. I may have rented the DVDs, which was expensive back in the days when there was a blockbuster in Hollywood video. Yeah, if you wanted to purchase those seasons and we're talking about 22 episode seasons, so we're talking four discs, minimum five discs, you know, around there. So so each purchase is going to be pretty expensive. So it wouldn't make more sense to rent them. Yeah, to rent them because those box sets were about uh, close to $60, retail. I remember them because I saved pretty pennies for a lot of DVD box sets. I did. That one didn't make the cut. (laughs) It will. Right. So it ended. You're starting back in the beginning. So what was it about the pilot that got you hooked? The characters. Just how they were all brilliantly introduced. Like Sam Seaborn, who... Let's be real here. When they created the show, he was supposed to be our main character. Yeah, I mean, he's top billing as Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe was very popular back then. Still is pretty popular. Yeah, he's your first guy. And then from there, it's basically alphabetical order with Martin Sheen rounding it up. With with Sam accidentally sleeping with a hooker because it's Washington, D.C. Why not? Alex and Janney on a treadmill trying to hit on a guy gets the uh, message that the president literally drove into a tree on a bike, on a bike, on a bike. bike. (laughs) And her like doing this great fall on the treadmill. You had Toby Ziegler being Toby. And of course, we get this great introduction of Josh and Donna's dynamic. I think there were just so many great things peppered in. And of course, Bartlett coming in. giving At the this, very end of the episode, too. Yeah, because it all had to do with this Christian right group. Something Josh Lyman said on a talk show. They were pretty much coming in and saying, we want something. Because Josh Lyman screwed up and offended our group. And President Bartlett comes in and addresses them all. It was just so beautifully done because his granddaughter expressing herself as pro-choice got mailed by, I guess, a fragment of the group, a Raggedy Ann doll with a knife stuck in his throat. And he just goes off that. Not 
only will they get anything from the White House, but you're only going to denounce that. It was just a beautiful takedown. I wish I can do in real life. I can never do. Now, let me ask you something about this pilot. So some could argue that it promotes anti-Catholicism. What do you think about that? I get annoyed by that because as you come to find out later on in the series, Jeb Bartlett is a devout Catholic. And the fact is, the way he speaks about religion is, one, he clearly has a better understanding of any of those people in the room. I'm pretty sure Jesus won't be cool with this. So why are you cool with this? It's basically <laughs> what he's saying. But he, of course, he said it much more eloquently than I did. Then early in the episode, I, I forgot to mention the whole bit with Sam kind of outs himself with accidentally sleeping with a call girl to Leo McGarry's daughter, Mallory. Yeah, that was really funny. There's just a lot of brilliant stuff. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, what was it like for you being introduced with Sam Seaborn? It's like, yeah, he makes an appearance towards the end of the series, but this is like the first time you're really seeing him front and center. Like you said, you knew that obviously they wanted to make Sam almost like the main character of the show. Still, this is a character who is taking up a lot of screen time that you're not quite used to. Yeah, and it is different. I understand what they were trying to do because originally the intent was you would never see the president. It's just a senior staff dealing with putting out the fires. It's just, unfortunately, when you have Martin Sheen, and Martin Sheen is just amazing in this role. We all talk about roles people are just destined to play. Martin Sheen was destined to play Josiah Bartlett. The gravitas he gives to that role, I'm not going to lie, I almost wrote down his name during the Kerry Bush election. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Josiah Bartlett for president. Bartlett for America, maybe? Nothing against Sam Seaborn's character. Because he's supposed to be like, I guess, the fish out of water, the young one of the group. But unfortunately, he doesn't pull the same. I hate keep using the word gravitas, but I can't think of another word that because there are other, I guess, stronger personalities. Because you have CJ Craig, who is essentially the only woman in an official senior role. Because if you think, because there are plenty of women on the show. It's just none of them really have a seat at the table, at least not until later on in the series when you have Amy Garner played by Mary Louise Parker, of course, Dr. Channing, who comes in and out as the first lady. Um, With a different hairstyle, it feels like, every time. <laughs> she's the first lady. She has to keep with the fashions, apparently. I know. Yeah. You know, that that to me was funny. It was like the evolution of her hairstyle throughout the series. It became more floatus as the series went on. <laughs> Which I'll get into a theory later as we discuss more of the seasons. Because I think there was a reason why she fluctuated with hairstyles. And of course, Kate Harper by Mary McCormack, who replaced is Nancy McNally as one of the advisors in the situation room. But then again, you have Donna, who's an assistant. You have Margaret, which I love Margaret. <laughs> we'll get to Margaret in a moment. Yeah, Margaret's there, one of those great one-off characters. Yeah, Donna was supposed to have a very small role, but she basically forced endeared. herself to be a bigger <laughs> part no, of the series. You know what is, I think Janelle Maloney was one of those things that I think Aaron Sorkin saw where he's like, okay, she's amazing. I'm going to write. And I honestly think Aaron Sorkin loved writing for her and that dynamic between between Josh and Donna. He basically did. Like, there are interviews of him saying that with the pilot, they need a little 
little bit more time. It was something like 40 seconds so that him and Thomas Schlamm, who is one of the producers and directed many episodes, these two are really the brain trust of the series. And Sorkin said, I kind of like the back and forth that Josh and Donna had. So I'm going to write a little bit more dialogue for the two of them. And then it just kind of grew as the season went on. And next thing you know, she's part of the main cast. And that's left one Mandy Hampton <laughs> with nothing to do. <laughs> and she is off to what is known as Mandyville for West Wing fans. Oh, Mandy. Like I was saying, like, it's just in terms of Sam, there were a lot of characters that were pulling focus from him. I mean, you have Toby Ziegler, who's his boss, and Richard Steff, who's, who's amazing. You have Bradley Whitford, Josh Lyman, and then you have the great John Spencer, who is Leo McGarry. Such a great character and a, oh, and a great performance. I feel like they set up Rob Lowe to fail if they were trying to make him the star of the show because you had all these great characters that dwarfed his presence. And I really feel like there's always that one character and actor who really is the glue of the series most times. That's what John Spencer is as as Leo McGarry. I I really felt like this is the guy that's keeping everything together. Not just because he's the chief of staff, but because the character and the writing and the performance, it's all keeping it together. It's all keeping it grounded. Because the other characters, they do have some of their comedic moments. You got your Josh and Donna back and forth. You have CJ and the press. um, Danny, yeah. Yeah, and Danny, you know, you have their back and forth. And you also have Sam and Leo's daughter or Sam and the call girl, Lori. And you have Charlie, who is just kind of the new guy who's just kind of wide-eyed at at everything and still trying to get used to things. So there's all these like little comedic moments. But when it comes to Leo, Leo Leo has his funny moments, but he's the guy where it's like, hey, everybody, we have a job to do. He's the adult in the room. room. Yes, not only to his staff, but also to President Bartlett. Yeah, which I believe if you look up in the DC Dictionary of Idioms, the adult in the room, there'll be a picture of John Spencer as Leo McGarry. <laughs> Absolutely. And and you feel it right away in that pilot. It really is a very exceptional pilot. It, is, it establishes the walking and talking style that Thomas Schlamm directs so wonderfully. And of course, Aaron Sorkin just excels at like nobody else in Hollywood. There's just a lot of things to gush about the pilot. But aside from the pilot, we do have other things to talk about with the series yes. here. At one point, did you decide that you were in it for the long haul? Like you did say you're watching season six and seven, but now that you're watching season one, was there any moment during that season where you realize, wow, this is really good. I can't wait to finish off the rest of the entire series. I'll start when I watch it on broadcast television live. I think it was the campaigning A Good Day, which was the plot that Matt Santos decided to congregate, secretly bring in all the Democrats, because basically there's, there's a stem cell bill that was going to vote in the House. And the Speaker of the House would always call off the vote as soon as he realized there were enough Democrats to vote in favor for it or keep it from being vetoed. Matt Sanchez came up with the plan that they're all going to pretend that they're going off but sneak into the vice president's office and just sit there until um, the Speaker of the House calls the vote. Because once you call a vote, you can't take it back. So once he did, he went ahead and led this march of all of these Congress men and women got the bill passed. If I remember correctly, I read that in Parliament. They actually used this episode of inspiration because he did something similar. But it was just brilliantly written. The pace was good. It's different from Sorkin's pace. But it got me 
interesting. And of course, it was towards the end of the sixth season and we're heading towards the convention. Then right after it was La Palabra, which Matt Sanchez kind of refused to be the Latino candidate, which will bite him in the ass in season seven, (laughs) which was great because who became the president for Latinos? Arnie Vinick, because that could actually happen. (laughs) When you don't corner an issue, you leave your opponent open to corner that issue. Then it puts you on a bad spot because now you're coming, you're late to the party and you're part of that group. Don't do it. (laughs) Future politicians, don't do it. (laughs) But yeah, so for me, like that was my point. But now when I was going back to rewatch it, I have to say season one is just so brilliant. All of those episodes, but a proportional response, I think for me is when Bartlett, he decided to get a new physician, Captain Morris Tolver. The episode ends with Leo informing the president that Tolver died en route to a teaching hospital in Jordan when Syria forces took down his military aircraft. And then the following episode, Bartlett is demanding plans on how are we going to react to this military attack on U.S. forces and what is the appropriate proportional response. And it's Bartlett's first, I guess, military action and him weighing all the costs and the weight of that decision. And of course, it's our first real introduction to Admiral Fitzwallace, who is a great background character that we'll get to know throughout the series. And it's pretty much the Joint Chiefs kind of leering on a man who's never had military response making these decisions. And I think on one point, they tell Leo, your guy is gun shy. He needs to make a decision. And Bartlett has a hard time with it because not only is it a decision that he has to make, but he also feels it as a personal attack because it was his guy, his Mm -hmm. decision, and him struggling with that. And what is an appropriate response? How Mm -hmm. far do you go? In the end, he says, doled out a thousand dollars worth of punishment for a five buck crime. Which I'm sorry, that was Fitzwallis because Bartlett wants to go even further. He feels attacked. It's an interesting episode and I feel for me it's the first time I've ever seen somewhat accurate depiction of the Situation Room. It's not like we would ever know because unless we have military clearance or the President of the United States, we'll never know what this really goes on. There was enough realism where I felt like, okay, for this point on, Sorkin had me. Very cool, very cool. Tell me about some of the main characters that really left an impression on you. We already talked a bit about CJ Craig. Um, Mm -hmm. Was there anyone else from the President's staff that you felt like Um, uh, really made an impression on you and Donna CJ Craig is who you aspire to be I think Donna Moss is the one that I feel I think many people connect to that you do so much exemplary work but you're kept held back because either you're too good at your job and they don't want to replace you or they just don't notice you and you're stuck at a level where you feel like you can do more yes but she does get her payoffs though you know I, yes. I will give the show credit for that that's something that they just could have kept her the way she was throughout the entire series, but they actually gave her some growth, some professional growth. And you even see her appearance has changed too. Her hair is different. Her Even right. the way she dresses is even more professional. So there really is a full-blown character makeover this growth is, that happens right before yeah, your eyes. Yeah. I thought it was really clever on the show's part. Yeah, I agree. I think Donna is definitely the character where I think you can kind of connect to the most in the beginning because that's someone who you could, like if you say, if I'm going to work as hard as I can, but as hard as you can, 
can is probably just we're going to be where Donna is at the beginning of the series. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and I think you're right. CJ is where you actually want to be, where you actually aspire to be. But realistically, yes. Donna is where the real <laughs> journey is. A, yeah, is yeah. Like, that's the real world. Yeah. That's the real world. Like, <laughs> Which isn't like, a bad thing. I mean, that's still great, all, though. Just that annoyance that you're smart and capable. Yeah, exactly. To, and yet you're never given the opportunity. A lot of people can connect to Donna. As much as Josh can be seen as the reason why Donna's never progressed, who wouldn't want a boss like Josh? Granted, once they stop working with each other, I wouldn't say stop working for each other because technically he's still her boss, but they always kept it professional while they were in the White House. I will give the show credit for that because if the show was airing today, they would have hooked up and broken up. They would have hooked up in season three, broken up by season four, and probably got back together a couple more times before the show ended. Absolutely. That's what would have happened. You really have to commend the show for holding back a little bit on having characters hook up left and right because <laughs> it's Which- not the same that there weren't opportunities, you know? So I kind of wish he still had that platonic relationship, though. Yeah, I don't know how I feel when I watch the series end and I see them in bed together and I think, is that what I really wanted? But though I can see how their shared traumas that can also bring them together. Sure. Because he experienced something in the beginning of season two. She experienced something towards season four and five, which I don't know if that was deliberate on the writer's parts or is just coincidental. So I can see how they would gravitate towards each other. Yeah, that makes sense. We've seen that in other shows when characters who've experienced the same type of things together is actually what brings them together and pairs them up. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, that does make a lot of sense. Are there any other main characters that uh, left yeah, really... Yeah, Char- gotta talk about Charlie Young. Charlie Young is also another character he wanted to aspire. I know my parents wanted me to be a Charlie Young type in the White House, personal age of the president. That was my mom's dream. I'm like, I don't think it's gonna happen because I don't have the stomach for politics. That being said, I think he's another great character that had a lot of character growth. His confidence from I mean, the first episode to even the end of season one is just leaps and bounds. I mean, you, there, there really is a lot of growth there and a lot of confidence by the end of the series. It took a little while for me to get used to seeing such a young Dulé Hill. <laughs> you right. Know, I always just see the guy from Psych. Uh, I want to say this was like one of his first television roles. I, I know he comes from a uh, musical theater background and he even talks about in interviews, he said that he had to get used to the flow of the series of the, of the writing you know and then once he was able to figure out how almost musically how to go with the flow of the series with the writing and, with, and all the walking and talking it just all kind of clicked for him and it shows I think it actually shows this back and forth with a lot of the characters especially with like CJ the development is uh, it's a big difference from the beginning of the series and, and towards the end of season one at one point they were butting heads over a schedule yeah <laughs> <laughs> to her hiring him so he wouldn't have to leave the president. And I will have to say even though they're not father and son I will have to say Charlie and Bartlett's relationship is one of the best father-son relationships that I can find in TV. Because he's stern when he has to be and kind in surprising ways. Like the Thanksgiving episode where he made Charlie go through leaps and bounds to find a good carving knife. He goes, 
that's right. We only do American. Ah, uh, Disney right. That's right. We'll go with the German, right? We'll go with the German. And he gets aspirated. I'm like, you have a good carving knife. And he goes, look at the carving knife, Charlie. You know what those initials are? PR? Paul Revere. Because Jed Bartlett's family descends to the Bartlett's who signed the Constitution. So, of course, his family knew Paul Revere. Of course. So, he says that he needs a new carving knife because in his family, they would pass it on from father to son as tradition. And he goes, I have three daughters and I want you to have it. And for me, that was like the first moment I clued in that the way Bartlett sees Charlie. And I think also Charlie, too, realizes he sees him more than just an aide. If any of Jeb Bartlett's daughters is going to get away with dating his personal aide, it would be Zoe Bartlett. Yeah. And so what do you think about that relationship? Because it came early. It did come early. It was just very organic. And I think it was the chemistry between Dooley Hill and Elizabeth Moss. And the way Elizabeth Moss just plays Zoe, this nice, sweet naivety about the world that you can see how one that Jed Bartlett kind of dotes on her. And you could see the dynamic out of all the children. She's the one that can literally almost get away with murder. For me, it just works. And of course, I'm quite fond of Mary McCormick's Kate Harper. She was just so odd. I feel like in those later seasons, her and Christian Chenoweth's Annabeth Schott were just so quirky that I'm down at this point. Of all those main characters, all of them are really great. Toby Ziegler is just amazing. I want to be able to scream and shout the way he does and not be sent to HR. <laughs> I want to be able to tell my boss that you're an idiot for doing half the things you do and not yeah. get fired. Toby would be tough to work with because the problem with Toby is he's always right. And sometimes you don't want him to be right. I think one of my favorite moments involving Toby is when it's time for the debate and they say that Bartlett has the yips and they were all just playing a prank on Toby that he... <laughs> Toby had that explosion of anger for a moment. And then they're all like passing money around because they all made bets on what Toby would do. When right. <laughs> they told him that Bartlett had the yips before the, the big debate. I think Fitterer might have been on that as well. <laughs> Um, though I did like his comeback which Toby paid all of these people to tell them how they voted wrong (laughs) which by the way that is my reality I was Josh in private when people would call me and they would say similar things where of course I am calm on the phone or in person but in private I am screaming like Josh Lyman (laughs) (laughs) why would you do such things this show is nothing short of having supporting characters come in and out throughout the series. There's some yeah. characters who are so supporting that they don't have many lines in each episode. They're sort of in the background, but they're in so many episodes. Kind of rare to see a show like that. Are there any supporting characters worth noting? Let me give us some quick shout outs. Dolores Laddingham played by the late Catherine Junes, which you may know her from Desperate Housewives and a few other shows. A working I, actor oh God. to the T, you know, she's just she, been so many things. She was great. She sort of set the tone. If Leo was the father of the group, Mrs. Laddingham was the mother of the group. She's a right amount of quirkiness. <laughs> just the whole bit about the, her, her cookie jar, how Toby mouths off to me so he doesn't get a cookie, but Josh can have a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> 
course, Toby replies, he's just as mouthy, but it wasn't to her. And then, of course, when um, the character left, there was a whole season he didn't have as an executive secretary. Of course, they found Lily Tomlin to play Debbie Fitterer, which I love that whole backstory about how she was fired initially for the White House because she's the one who hired Charlie instead of hiring someone in Bartlett's cabinet's son to be his personal aide. And I thought that was brilliant. I think it softened the blow because I think a lot of people did love Dolores Laddingham. Along with Bartlett, we had a hard time picturing anyone else at that desk. Okay, we have to talk about Margaret. Margaret is one of the best secondary characters ever. You know Margaret goes to therapy, (laughs) right? (laughs) I think her therapist goes to therapy because of her. (laughs) There was a bit about OSHA and how the White House is exempt from ergonomics and workplace injuries. The whole organize, Don organize everyone to type slowly with one finger because Leo said just type slower and you won't get any workplace related injuries. So there's Margaret <laughs> typing with two fingers and he goes, what are you doing? Well, do you want your job? Okay, I will type faster. And then of course my favorite bit. So there's the bit where the president becomes incapacitated and he forgot to write this letter that all persons have to before if they become incapacitated. So Margaret, for some reason, decides to tell Leo that she's capable of convincingly forging President Bartlett's signature, but is reminded by Leo that skill for uh, official purposes constitutes as treason. And Margaret's like, we better not discuss this ever again. And Leo goes, I'm pretty sure we shouldn't. <laughs> she's just so odd and amazing. And I'm sad I don't see her more things because she's a great character actor. Oh yeah, she really is very good in the show. So Mary Louise Parker as Amy Garner, who was the head of the Leadership Coalition for Women's Rights and eventually becomes the chief of staff for the First Lady. She was the perfect match for Josh. I just love her. Her character is so damn weird. And she's just as good as the game as Josh to getting what she needs. There was this great bit where they were lobbying for opposition. And at one point, she's on the phone with her backers. And then Josh gets on the phone and she cuts the cord. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, honey. The phone just went dead. And then she continues talking. The way she sabotages Josh is great. Ainsley Hayes, I thought, and even Sorkin feel regrets not locking down Emily Proctor. She loved playing the character. She loved being on the show. She literally had no idea that Sorkin loved the character and wanted to have her around. You know, if she knew that, she said she would have fought tooth and nail to try to stay on the show. She got that main role on CSI Miami and the rest is history. I honestly think if they kept Ainsley Hayes around, I don't think Sam Seaborn would have left, especially with the MS thing and especially in later seasons. But yeah, I mean, those are my picks for the minor characters to watch. I mean, they bring so much joy. And with all that joy comes many high points that come with the series when you love it so much. Tell us about some of your favorite high points of the series. Season one. When I think about perfect first seasons, and we all know those shows that have the perfect first season. I would say this was a perfect first season. I mean, we got to know the characters. We have policy and we had personal stories mixed in bottle type episodes. If you're a CJ Craig fan, then we all know about the jackal. And it says, Dale, I can never pronounce it. It's Latin. It's the first Christmas episode. Is that the it episode with Yo-Yo Ma? So, no, that's the following season. Toby Siegler gets notified that there's a man who died that had his business card. Right. His, it was such a good episode about to- 
Toby trying to find out more about this man who happened to have the same business card who had his jacket that he donated. And it comes to find out that the man is a Vietnam vet. Was it? I think it was Vietnam. It might have been Korea. But he was taking care of his brother, which he ended up giving up his spot in the overground shelter to his brother. As a result, he died of exposure. Then we also learned that same episode, Mrs. Laddingham lost her sons, both sons in Vietnam. And she asked to go to the funeral that Toby put together. It had a lot of nice issues that were brilliantly woven in together. There was the hate crime that was inspired by Matthew Shepard and CJ trying to get more attention to this issue. How is no one else is as pissed off as she is that this happened? I feel like in later seasons, each episode became an issue episode where in the sorkin years, it was layered in like you would deal with a normal day in the White House where it's not just one issue, it's several issues that just come up and you have to deal with them. Those first episodes sort of helped build that verisimilitude of what staffers in the White House actually dealt with. In the White House, I would it'd be hard to believe they only deal with one particular issue. They're spinning many plates and they're trying to make sure they all don't come crashing down at once. Mm-hmm. Let Bartlett be Bartlett was a great reset for the series. The whole first season, it was them kind of losing. They're getting slammed left and right. He couldn't get any legislation to go through. And then Leo was like, let Bartlett be Bartlett, which sort of gave them some extra push to do some legislation. I'm trying hard not to spoil certain things, but you can't talk, you not talk about In the Shadow Two Gunmen, which is a premiere season two and what kind of day this has been. I think in modern history, in terms of assassinations attempts, Ronald Reagan is the most recent one in modern history. And we dealt with something like this on the show with President Bartlett and Josh Lyman. And then, of course, following up um, a couple of episodes later with um, season two's Christmas episode, Noel. Which might be my favorite episode of the series, honestly. Yeah, it was just groundbreaking on how they actually talked about trauma. And I want to say this was one of the shows at the time that probably did the really examine trauma. And they kind of had a sequel follow up, Night Five, where they dealt with Bartlett's trauma when he couldn't sleep for five consecutive nights. Yes, bringing in the same trauma therapist that helped Josh in in that season two episode. Who was great, by the way. I thought he played off of both of them extremely well. Adam Arkin, who played the character, and it was Stanley uh, Keyworth. I love how he played those quiet moments and just stood back and just let both Martin Sheen and Bradley Whitford, he let them shine. He helped them shine. Yeah. Which brings us to probably my favorite episode of the entire series is Two Cathedrals. It is the aftermath of Mrs. Laddingham's accident. The writing in this episode, it is so good. And I've read and I completely agree. It is probably one of the best hours of television in television history. I mean, we got to examine the relationship between Jeb Bartlin and Dolores Laddingham. It was beautifully written and you can make the 
argument that Mrs. Lattingham is probably the reason why Bartlett went to politics because she gave him a task of finding out why women get paid less than men when the women do twice as much as work as the men do. And then, of course, his monologue, being angry. And someone who comes from a religious background, you grow up believing in faith and you go through something so horrible. There are many times I think that I have, my parents have, have that struggle, that question of faith. And his monologue, half in English, half in Latin, it was breathtaking. It is a masterclass in acting. Martin Sheen was amazing through in and throughout. Not only is did he lose his personal secretary, he's dealing with the fallout with now everyone knows that he covered up his MS diagnosis. I want to briefly mention two episodes in season three. Hartfield's Landing is probably one of my favorite election related because there's always these quirky stories about how different areas work. We have the Iowa caucus, but Hartfield's Landing is actually based on a real town where they do get a cast votes in person before everyone else in the country for the primaries. And whoever picks the president, sort of similar like how the Iowa caucus works, sort of becomes the quote-unquote front-runner. And in particular with this fictional town, they predict who's going to win the primary. And of course, Dead Irish Writers, it's the fallout of the whole trial because they had a special investigator going after everyone, seeing who know when and who covered up Bartlett's MS diagnosis. And the one who's in real hot water is President Bartlett's wife, the First Lady, because she's been secretly administrating medicine to her husband without keeping records. And on the eve of her birthday celebration, she gets to find out whether or not she keeps to keep her medical license. And it's her struggling with who is she without her medical license. That whole episode was great because for the first time you had all four main female characters. She had CJ, Donna, Amy, and Abby. And they're all talking about them and not about the men in the show. And I thought for its time, that was rare. Because usually all these characters are talking about the president or Donna's talking about Josh or Amy's talking about Josh and for ones they're not talking about the men in the show and I thought that was amazing for me those are the episodes that really stick out is there one episode that you would show someone to get them interested I'm guessing it wouldn't be the two cathedrals so there's two episodes the first one is crackpots and these women which is the first annual block of cheese day which has become a recurring theme on the show where Leah talks about this tradition the Cheshire Mammoth Cheese made by John Leland presented to President Thomas Jefferson. Ah, Thomas Jefferson. Okay. It's one of those things where you have the zaniness of the show but also weighing it with a seriousness. Big Block of Cheese Day is a day where Leo McGarry encourages staff to meet with fringe special interest groups where CJ has to meet with a group of that wants to build specialized highways for wolves which the head of the committee was led up by none other than Nick Offerman. It's a very Nick Offerman type of role. <laughs> I know it was brilliant. The whole time I'm thinking, I don't think his character in Parks and Rec would do this. He was big government. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> because as a libertarian, he would argue the wolves need to pick up their, themselves by the bruises and build their own highway. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
And then, of course, Sam Seaborn um, meets with a guy concerned about UFOs, how they're not investigating him. There's a lot of great stuff. Josh gets a card from the National Security Council, information where to go in the event of a nuclear attack. As the day goes on, he's being realized that no one but him, Leo, and the president have gotten that card. And he's dealing with... I guess, unrelying trauma of leaving people behind because it related to how his sister died in a fire and that guilt of leaving people behind that he ends up not wanting to take the card. But yeah, I mean, those are the two episodes. I think they're self-contained enough where you get the spirit, the flavor, different flavors that Sorkin's playing with throughout the series. But interesting enough where you're like, okay, I can get down with this. Well, you seem to love the series pretty much as a whole, but were there any moments where you started to have your doubts? You started in like somewhere in season six and finished the series and then you went back. I noticed an overall tone mm. where had I been watching from the beginning, I would have a hard time. Would you say it, like um, by season five, you would have been watching just for the sake of watching? Season five, we were dealing with the ramifications of Zoe Barlin and kidnapping and Barlin having to step away from the presidency until Zoe was returned home safely. Shout out to one uh, John Goodman for his appearance well, during that time playing the president of the United States. Glenn Walker. For every bad episode, there was a good episode that followed. Later, we got The Supremes. The Supremes is, I think, idealistically, is how you want the court to be. You want it to be balanced. You don't want it to lean either one way or the other. You want a balanced court that represents everyone's views in America. And even though Sorkin was gone at this point, it was beautifully done. Yeah, so I would say, like, the gems are just more few and far between than they were in the in the early yeah, seasons. I, I would agree with that. Because then you have like weird stunts. Because you had a lot more the Warner Brother talent appearing in shows. I don't know if John Bon Jovi he was... He did appear. Big supporter of Jed Bartlett. And, but there were other stunts that they pulled that I felt like seemed reasonable. And I have to say, my favorite shot in this entire series is Big Bird sitting next to CJ Craig. And they made so many jokes leading up to that moment that it paid off. And especially towards season seven where and this is for where I struggle as a viewer. When I first watched it, I was okay with because I didn't know anything before. But starting from the beginning, if you're a big fan of President Bartlett and CJ Craig, which I am, don't get me wrong. I love Matt Santos. Jimmy Smith is a wonderful job. Same with Alan Alda as Arnie Vinnick. It was really campaign heavy. And I felt like I didn't get enough of my guys. They still had their little spurts of good episodes here and there. So it's like it wasn't a total totally lost cause. The show I'll never take, jumped the shark. Well, they solved the Palestine and Israel problem. <laughs> that to you is jumping the shark? <laughs> to me, that's jumping the shark. Okay, fair that, enough. I wish they would come to a compromise and we can have peace in the Middle East. But if any show had low points like the West Wing, I would welcome it. Because even at the West Wing's quote-unquote low points, it was still good. All right, so let's move on. Now we're in the recommendations portions. So how would you binge it? See, I think this is the type of show where you kind of want to pace yourself. Um, yes. For preparation of this episode, I did rewatch it all again in what, about a month and a half period. Where in the past, I took my time with it. I think you benefit yourself from taking your time. Because, yeah, because I, I think... try to binge it myself as well. And it, it after the first like 30 episodes, I was like, I had to tap out. I was like, I, I can't. <laughs> 
I can't keep binging this the way I'm binging this. It's not the type of show for I that. At least not for me. It doesn't sound like for you either. I feel like the later seasons you can. is not to knock Josh Wells's writing or Lawrence O'Donnell's writing. But in those earlier seasons, Aaron Sorkin wrote it for its time. Where you're supposed to take a week's time between each episode and let it sink in. The cliffhanger with Gaza with Zoe Bartlett's kidnapping. Those were some of the best cliffhangers. And there's certain episodes where, like Noel, where you're supposed to sit with that trauma yeah. that Josh is experiencing. Josh didn't get cured at the end of that episode. And that was the most brilliant thing about that episode because as Adam Arkin's character says, it's gonna take time. There isn't a magic cure-all. Binging it, I feel like those character moments, you lose that time to reflect on what you saw. So if anyone decides to go down this journey, one, you should. No question about it. Two, take your time. Let yourself live in with those characters. And with all that being said, what if they don't want to commit to the entire series? Do you have any recommending viewing order to help with the experience? Do you say one through four, boom, your Sorkin years and don't continue? You could. But though, if you end at season four, you don't get resolution on Zoe Bartlett. So you might as well go up until episode two of season five, where he takes back the presidency and then you can sort of just walk away if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. I watched those episodes and you really Um, do that. I'll try to post this. The way I thought about breaking this down, because I think I got it down to like about 70 episodes from 156, where if I were teaching a class on Jet Bartlett, here are the episodes I would play. Because it gets shorter as you get to season six and seven. I mean, season six, I only have what? One, two, six or seven episodes that deals with Bartlett. Yeah, we'll get that posted. And of course, there's some great CJ Craig episodes. If you're going to follow any character, CJ Craig is one of the best characters and the most consistent character. She has a nice character growth. Just like elections campaigning, the whole retail, I do have some Bartlett stuff, starting with episode 1.16, which is 20 hours in LA, where we're getting hints that he's going to run up until election night, which is 4.7. But if you just want to follow the Santos Vinick election, you can basically start at season six, episode 10, Faith Based Initiative. And I'll post it, and he kind of skips around, and it's about 20 episodes. You can do that. Of course, you'll get some stuff mixed in with the original cast. It's pretty much all new characters. So what about materials to help enrich the viewing experience? I mean, there's plenty of books about the West Wing. We know that. They did have their Hartsfields Landing voting special back in October. So it's on HBO Max. You know, I watched both. I watched the original episode and watched it again. It's a little bit jarring because, of course, Don Spencer isn't with us anymore. Yes, and he's played by Sterling K. Brown. Which, oddly, it works. Did it work for you? It didn't quite work for me, honestly. I thought the performance was good. It just, it wasn't Leo. And I I get it. You can't recapture Leo. But I think he still has the same command of Leo. But granted, he is younger than all of the majority of the cast. Yeah, and even when you're thinking of it as the concept of younger than the characters, you know what I mean? Like Sterling K. Brown is probably in his 
movies now, but we talked about it earlier. Like John Spencer just has that presence, that grounded presence that I don't really think Sterling K. Brown works in that role for. So that's where I was having a little disconnect. Like who would you cast? Okay, so let's play a little game and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who would you have cast in that role? Uh, Let's see. Well, I got to pick someone who hasn't been on the West Wing, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of hard because they've had so many many great guest stars. I'll come back to that on our final thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Because I don't. Because I don't have an answer myself. Because it's hard to cast someone to replace John Spencer. Because no matter how great of an actor you put, you could put Meryl Streep in that role. It's still not going to be John Spencer. He is kind of like the heart and soul of that group. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I still thought it was a really good special. If you start watching the show and you do find yourself enjoying it, then do make time to watch it. Another thing that I would say that people should watch, and even though this is part of the show, is the documentary episode uh, of yeah. the West Wing. I think that's a great episode just to kind of show that these people who used to work in the White House, just to see the joy on their faces of having a job like that, talking about how it's like the craziest place you'll ever work at, but you'll never feel more fulfilled than working there. It, it is just seeing like some joy being associated with working in government is kind of a nice you know, thing. You, I mean, <laughs> you know what the weird thing is? When I first watched that special years ago, I didn't get it. There is a negative view of the public about government and politics. But yet these people still enjoy it because there's a sense of service that you're providing. And not until I worked in the elections office, I understood that feeling. Because it is a special feeling that you are in the service of others that you can't really describe until you yourself have experienced it. I think that's what the show really captures is that feeling of serving something greater than yourself. And it really comes through. Definitely. Okay. So you saw the whole gang back together recently for that special. Would you want a reboot or a continuation series? The continuation series would be really hard. CJ's out office. Bartlett can't become president again. I'm pretty sure if anyone's still in politics, it'll probably be Josh Lyman as a senator or congressman. Or same with Sam Seaborn. Hey, Jed did say Sam is going to run for president one day. With all the scandals in his closet. (laughs) But then again, it would be hard, especially in this climate. And we'll get into like similar shows when we get to our conclusion part. It's hard to have a show like this that is optimistic, that doesn't have some conspiracy running in the background that all political shows these days need to have in order to get picked up. I don't think you could do this series again without Sorkin and Schlamm. They would have to be heavily involved. Otherwise, what's the point? So it would have to be a a quasi-reboot continuation with a new president. And I think they could pull it off, to be honest with you, if, again, it's on a streaming site and maybe they swing a pot with Sorkin if they do like a shortened like 13 to maybe 10 episode seasons. But then again, I don't think this show would work on a streaming site. I think this show works best in long form, the 22 episodes, weekly release schedule. If you think about it as a whole, this series is a bunch of bottle episodes that loosely connect together. That's true. That's true. That's actually a good point. Will it happen? Probably. I think there'll be a crazy enough executive that throws Aaron Sorkin enough money to give it a try. Or at least like get his blessing to just create his own team and make it. Yeah, definitely. We're getting close to wrapping this all up. Who do you think would enjoy the West Wing? I think there's a nice cross-section of MSNBC viewers. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you like MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, Lawrence O'Donnell, you'll love this show.
show. You know, I never did any research on this. I I do wonder how Republicans feel about the West Wing. They call it the left wing. Oh, they do. Um, Okay, okay. They do. The right kind of detest it. They call it a liberal's wet dream. That's fair, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame them for that. (laughs) Because they're seen as the opposition to a Democratic president, and they're viewed as the opposition, and so they're kind of villainized. If they do a reboot, I want it to be more bipartisan, where we have equal time for both views. But that going said, I think anyone that enjoys politics or just needs hope that maybe government and democracy can work. So pretty much this is a show we should have been watching for the last four years. Well, I think that's why the uptick in popularity has happened. I feel like anyone who has felt lost or feels disenfranchised or disillusioned by the political system and government should watch this show. If you're a student of script writing or good writing, this is a show that you should be devouring and studying frame by frame in terms of story breakdown. Yeah, 100%. Anything Sorkin related. Absolutely. And same for if you're a aspiring filmmaker. I mean, they invented the walk and talk, the city cam long takes. Yeah, I mean, it's the last network television show to win best drama at the primetime Emmys. That's how long it's been. Do you have any suggestions for similar shows that a viewer might also uh, enjoy if they are done with the West Wing and we'll move on to other things. You know, and that's hard. It is hard. Like I don't I honestly is, the only things I could really like jump out at me are, I, are, I are hear both your cynical, cynical and opposite direction. If you like the comedy side and you want to go cynical with it, then you have Veep. If you like the drama side and want to be cynical about it, then you go House of Cards. With Veep is interesting. You ended up with a caricature of the bumbling by a president like Joe Biden was perceived to be. And you ended up full Trump by the end of that show. Because there's a story that Timothy Simons and I believe Scott Reed was also acknowledged this during an interview with, on, oddly enough, every source are coming from Colbert, where they talked about how accurate it is in D.C., where they said that pretty much a lot of the aides' job is making the other guy's team having a worse day than their guys is having. So if you want that environment of how D.C. works within the congressional staffs and how they're sort of like at war with each other. Sure, go with V. But it's sort of like the antithesis to what Sorkin was going for with the West Wing. Exactly. So um, if you want that feel-good thing about how government's supposed to work for people, I would say there's two shows, Parks and Recreation, even though a smaller government, it still has an optimism that one person can make a difference. And I think you have enough of those likable characters like you did on the West Wing where you see some similar correlations. And I would say Madam Secretary with Tia Leone as the characters, which we can all agree was inspired by then Secretary Hillary Rodham Clinton. Because in terms of policy and how they're negotiating through back channels and getting things done and reporting to the president, I mm-hmm. think is the closest thing that you've we've ever gotten to the West Wing. Granted, there is some like spy stuff that's running in the background where I get annoyed because I'm just screaming at my TV. I just want to hear the policy. (laughs) 
I just want to see the diplomatic route. I don't want to see the spy stuff because, of course, uh, T. Leone's character on Madame Secretary was also a former CIA. I guess your characters have to be in order to get a show greenlit. Right, you got to have something that makes it a little spicy and interesting. You know what I mean? Right. If you're looking for someone that's similar to President Bartlett, I would also suggest Designated Survivor's main character because he's an idealistic president. But again, you kind of get lost in the B plot of all of this like terrorist stuff going on in the background where again I just want to know about the policy I just want to see the president govern I don't want spy intrigue that's boring um, Romeo you gotta spice things I know. up <laughs> I know but, but, but you kind of see the evolution how yeah. everyone either has to be amoral or has to have some spy intrigue and of course you can't talk about politics without talking about scandal I loosely recommend scandal there's a campaign which she probably stole which she did but if you love Sorkin's writing the newsroom it's an interesting show I think Sorkin really gets to finally see what he feels about the world that he couldn't say on the West Wing because they have a divergent timeline where I think after Nixon they had different people become president or, or I'm sorry LBJ and here's Sorkin who gets to go completely off on the world and the way it is and you have Jeff Daniels as the lead it's basically if Toby was the main character of the West Wing is what you get with the newsroom. Romeo, we did it. We talked about the West Wing. Yes, it was a long time and I'm sorry, but yeah, it's the it felt West like Wing. a four-year term, but we got through it. Was this our first network show? Uh, no, Buffy. Oh, right, Buffy. You've done two Buffy. network shows. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have a soft spot for network shows. I grew up on network shows yeah. before there were yeah. Netflix and, and premium channels. And when you started to gain an interest in writing is through watching network television. And I learned about dialogue because of Aaron Sorkin's writing. So Exactly. So this tells me this won't be the last network show that you do for Binge no. Essentials. <laughs> no. All right. Well, Romeo's going to slide over to the host chair with me. I want you to stay tuned for final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back. So when we recorded The West Wing, it was before the events of January 6th. And What's good about saving these final thoughts weeks down the road after recording is because of events like January 6th. There was a very specific reason we did the West Wing. It's sad to say, but the reason why we did it is because of everything that's been going on over the last four years, including what's happened in 2021. So with all that being said, let's first talk about the episode. Romeo, as someone who is not a huge West Wing fan, but has seen enough episodes and can certainly appreciate it, I thought you did a really good job laying everything out really well. Mm -hmm. How did you feel you did? I think I did okay. I mean, there's always parts of me that wish, oh, I should have said this, I should have remembered of oh, this important thing. But I think I got the overall premise of it. It's the promise, or rather the social contract we have with the government and the ideals that we put into this living document called the Constitution and how it should flow into our society. And in an ideal world, things would be like the West Wing, where you put something forward, it gets done. As Rob Lowe said earlier this week on The View, the West Wing became a source of comfort for people that want to go back to the old days of boring politics. You didn't have a reality 
reality show every week where you were on a teetering off a cliff with a nervous breakdown on a Friday to see what so-and-so was going to say on his Twitter. I know we always set out for this show not to be too political, but with a political show and the real-life political atmosphere, it's sort of hard to avoid for this particular episode. So A lot of these shows or media sort of reflect the real world or either highlight the injustice of what's going on. I mean, The Wire did that and we talked about the real issues. Um, we discuss about what policing is during our final thoughts after the discussion. And it would be remiss of us not to discuss this. We had a sitting president encourage the overthrow of the government. There's no way to sugarcoat this. And you're right. It is something that's not even debatable. It, it's all there. Tell the Republicans in Congress that, except for the four. And when you have Liz Cheney, the daughter of Dick Cheney, the man who set out to revision the role of the vice president, and when you have like conservative members of the media, like Megan McCain all last week and this week saying that the Republican Party's in real crisis, you have to take a step back and think what's going on. Because if Josh Lyman was a real character, he would be screaming off the top of his lungs. And we've seen him on the show having the negative opinion of Republicans. Almost everyone in, on the show of The West Wing. And I always thought that was done for comedy. They need to cast a villain. But never have I felt like those statements were more true than this week. And that makes me sad. I agree. I was working from home when this happened. And when it was happening, I flat out wasn't working. I was watching the news the rest of the day because I just could not believe what was happening. And it made me think about how, because I work at a university and when something like a school shooting would happen, we would have police, they would drop by all the locations on campus just to make sure everything was okay. Right. It's like a routine thing for campus police to do. Mm -hmm. And it made me think what was happening on that day was would policemen have done the same exact thing? Would they have come around and check on us? Because it really was that scary of a moment where you do get afraid, like, if there are people doing this in D.C., are there movements happening across the country? You know, and, and I know you work at a government building as well. Yes. You have reason to be concerned on I a do. day like that. I do. Yeah, because especially when you're perpetrating the lie that the election was stolen, that everyone, including election volunteers, are corrupt and in part of this big QAnon conspiracy, that paints target on your back. In the about 15 years I've worked elections, I have never seen that level of voter intimidation. Yeah. Yes, we have poll watchers from both parties just to see to make sure everything is going like it's supposed to, that's normal. Mm -hmm. Having reporters from your local newspapers come in and observe, that's normal. People coming in purposely trying to wear slogans with candidates' names have increased this past election. How I remember it, I was in shock because I was in the dentist's office. I was having a root canal. I went in at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. They were just the bullcrap of senators debating whether or not they should count the results. At 5 p.m., I walked out to a whole different world. There was a coup. And the feeling I got was when 9-11 happened. That's how it felt because I don't know if you remember 9-11 and watching the news when it happened, but I remember clearly Peter Jennings' face that he didn't believe that anything this horrific could ever happen in our nation. And about 
20 some years later, seeing David Muir's face, same exact expression that this is happening on American soil. And it wasn't a foreign power, mind you. This was led by the leader of our country. You know who does that? Dictators. Then he released a video telling the insurrectionists that please go in peace. We love you and you were special. And to hear those words coming from your president, you know, it hurts. And and it just it really frustrates me because there are people who support Trump, but they're not quite inserted into their cult, I guess you could say. And, and here's the ultimate problem with Trump supporters. They don't want to hold him accountable. And it frustrates me because I am, I'll admit it, I'm, I'm a Democrat, but I'm more of like centrist Democrat. The Joe Bidens and the Barack right. Obamas. Uh, you're, you're, you're a moderate. You're a moderate. Yeah, yeah, I'm moderate. But there are a lot of liberal takes that I do agree with. It's true. But there are a few things here and there with Republicans where I'm like, I can see where you're coming from. And right. in the right circumstance, I can tend to agree with you on that. With Biden coming into the presidency, I'm going to hold him accountable if he does things that I don't agree with. As as a good American should. When it has come to Trump over the last four years, the Trump supporters never hold him accountable. They no. always want to pass the blame. And it just got so sickening. And I got, I'm tired of it. I'm absolutely oh. tired of it. Those people I consider to be brainwashed and it's going to take years for them to be back to normal again. But to hear the senators and the Congress people, one saying that some of them left the chamber and hid in other places because they didn't trust their Republican colleagues. Because we now know that they were tours with some of the insurrectionists the day before. We also know that one of them is that was elected was a QAnon conspiracy theorist and was live tweeting where Nancy Pelosi's location was. It's just disgusting. And I like to think of myself as someone that is more nuanced than a lot of the characters on the West Wing in my views of the Republican Party. But I can't help to think that maybe Josh Lyman and Toby Ziegler were right all along. And that makes me sad because I don't think all Republicans are like this. No, definitely not. But the problem is I don't hear enough of those voices saying that this is wrong from the other side. It's just we're making excuses for the attackers. Luckily, the FBI and the Capitol Police are investigating and they are bringing up people. But I just wish as Americans, we were all on the same page. Yeah, we had to get serious there for a moment because we want to see a better world for the next generation. And the last four years was some of the worst that our country had to offer. We deserve better than this. I know some people are going to say, do you deserve better than this? You know, I know a lot of people like to make America the punchline in other countries, but as an American, I genuinely believe that we do deserve better than this. And hopefully in the future, we can get to an America that most of the country can collectively be happy for. We'll see what happens. Okay. With all that being said, we need to get to some of the show notes. First things first, Arnie Vinnick and Matt Santos. Now you mentioned that Vinick was inspired by John McCain and that Matt Santos is inspired by Barack Obama. <laughs> Matt Santos is inspired by Barack Obama even before Obama was a U.S. senator. But Arnie Vinick is not inspired by any politician and that is according to Eli Addy who served as one of the writers of the show. He swears that Vinick is not based on McCain. But Romeo, I'm sure you have different thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, if you look at the way the campaign kind of ran, it does mirror it a lot more 
more and I may maybe their initial intentions weren't to base them off of John McCain but I think over time I mean the parallels are clear and some of the missteps you can sort of make comparisons there between the both campaigns I find it hard to believe that they didn't start drawing more inspiration from what was happening in the real world all right so I mentioned that Dulé Hill that he hadn't done a lot of television before West Wing he did a lot of theater which is true he has a extensive musical theater background but he did star or at least has supporting roles in several movies and TV shows before joining the West Wing just want to give him his credit where credit is due Romeo you weren't quite sure if the veteran in the first Christmas episode was a Vietnam or a Korean vet so I had to look it up for you just to be sure and we have a Korean vet next one here Hartsfield's Landing is based on a real location Romeo you mentioned how it drew inspiration and it did yeah. for a location called Hart's Location in New Hampshire and finally Romeo you asked me who I think should play Leo McGarry instead of Sterling K. Brown because mm-hmm. I mentioned that Sterling K. Brown didn't quite work for me in that right. setting and I have two options for you so if you want to go with an older actor who is old like the rest of the cast is now. My choice here, I thought about who has a really good theater background, who has a Leo McGarry type presence that can give orders and and carry that confidence with them. And I came down to Glenn Turman. Most people might know Glenn Turman from The Wire. He played Mayor Royce. And he most recently was in Fargo season four as Dr. Senator. And he's also in the Oscar hopeful Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. He's a terrific actor, and I think he would have been a pretty good fit if he played Leo McGarry. Romeo, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I think Glenn Turman would have been great just because I can see him as the elder statesman that Leo McGarry was. And another choice I had here, I thought of somebody who is also older in age, but maybe looks more younger in appearance, I guess you could say. It's hard to describe because he's almost like a chameleon actor. I, I just love him. I think he works in any role that is given to to him, and that is Stanley Tucci. It would been interesting to see it. Yeah, I think Glenn Turman is a good choice. He would seemingly fit in. No matter who takes that role, you're stepping into the long shadow of John Spencer. Whoever they put in that role of Leo McGarry, it would have been an uphill battle for fans to sort of accept. Okay, and that's everything. So now let's move on to the mailbag. There's nothing in the mailbag, but if you want to reach us, you can reach us at bingeessentials at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on our social media pages. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash binge essentials. You can find us on Instagram at binge essentials. You can find me on Instagram at David Rocha binge. You can find me on Twitter at David Rocha radio. If you want to reach out to Romeo, use the binge essentials email or the social media pages that we have for binge essentials. And a big thing that we would like you guys to do for us. If you use Apple podcasts to listen to binge essentials, please give us a five star rating. If you enjoy the podcast and leave a review. It really helps with the algorithm and we're really trying to get some more listeners on the program. We already seem to be getting a decent following for a show that is not very good at promoting. We're now horrible. We're horrible. We are so horrible at it, but word of mouth also helps. So please tell your friends about Binge Essentials if you like what you're listening and if you think they'll listen to it. That would be very much appreciated. Okay, next week's episode is going to be the Dark Knight Trilogy. That's right.
Nights, Forcing Spikes, Chris Dunn will be joining us for the third time on Binge Essentials for the Dark Knight trilogy. That is the Christopher Nolan films of Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. You may not think that there's much to discuss when it comes to just three films, but trust us, there's a lot to talk about when you have three men in their 30s who are reflecting back to movies that they watched when they were in their 20s. So it was a very good discussion. I'm very much looking forward to you guys listening to that. And with all that being said, we're done here. So thanks for listening. See you guys next week. 